Welcome to the Gold Standard here from the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Dying Cesspool at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And I'm Emma Lingen of the Hockey Writers. You can follow me at Emma underscore Lingen. We have I a think lot. next week we should let Emma go second. She always goes last and I feel bad. So next week, let's switch it up. How do you, how do you feel, Emma, about going third to introduce yourself? Hey, best for last, right? I was going to say best for last. <laughs> no offense, um, Michael. <laughs> none taken. I like it. You got to be self-confident. If you want to, if you want to back clean up, I'm all for it. You, you got to be confident, man. Cause now we're talking about a team that never trails in games. They don't even trail in hockey games anymore. It's just so passe. You lose nine to two. You get told you can't go to a concert in Las Vegas. They haven't <laughs> trailed. They haven't trailed. The Nashville Predators haven't trailed in six games. They've won all six, collected all 12 points. They've scored at least four goals in every single one of those games. How on earth did we get here is what we're going to discuss. Obviously, all of this could, in theory, change the strategy deployed at the trade deadline by Barry Trotz and co. over at 501 Broadway. So how does this all change what we've been talking about for weeks now, which is stop acting like a playoff team? Well, they are securely in the playoffs now uh, after rattling off six straight wins. So what have we seen that's been different? What does that do to the trade tra- strategy coming fu- coming up? They've got four more big, two huge games with Colorado and Minnesota. And of course, four games before at home before the deadline coming up very, very soon next late next week. So a lot to discuss today on the show. Saros, Carrier, Tyson Berry, Tommy Novak getting at least 14 to $16 million a year in his new contract. We'll discuss that and how Michael has been Texting me trash talk uh, ever <laughs> ever since we learned that maybe he was right about Tommy Novak's value. In which I don't case, just pull this stuff out of the air. I talk to people and I have informed opinions. And you you kind of made it seem like I was doing drugs when I suggested he could get close to $5 million. Well, my, my, informed, right? my informed opinion is that Barry Trot should have nothing to do with that price tag. So <laughs> that's my, I, I agree. That's my informed decision. So lots of stuff to get to today. Before we do, Emma Lincoln. You get to go first this time. The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. So, so, so well done. Michael, let me hear you say it with that much enthusiasm. Uh, I can't. I'm sorry. Jaspers. That's all I got. You are known for your enthusiasm. I am. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jaspers over on West End. It is a great, proud sponsor of the Nashville Predators for years. They have been promoting the Nashville Predators. Great place to watch games, home and road. Great drink specials, free parking. Wonderful place for business lunches. I do it all the time. Uh, My wife works over there. She comes over. We go grab lunch together all the time. It's great. Great happy hour. The kids love going. The free game room. The food is, the prices are great. And have I mentioned the parking is free? Have I mentioned that part? I'm sorry. Is the parking free? It's zero dollars, in fact. Okay. Just checking. Zero, zero dollars. Okay. Go to Jasper's, everybody. So a lot to get to. And, of course, support good local reporting at Nashville Hockey Now and the Hockey Writers. Go subscribe there. So I guess I'll just start broadly. Like, again, they've scored four four goals in six straight games. They have not trailed. They've scored first in all six games. They go 4-1 on the road against. Now, I, I will say this. Beating San Jose and Anaheim on the road. Yeah, okay. But not going to take anything away from the six-game winning streak because it's been great. And a lot of it, secondary scoring was was big against Vegas. We talked about it last week. It was big against the Kings with Trennan, Jankowski, Sissons, and Lozon. That's right. Those were the four goal scorers against the Kings. You got Sherwood scoring twice, McCarron scoring twice in a game. Uh, yes, you also had Nyquist, Forsberg, and Yossi doing a lot of heavy lifting as well, but you saw some balanced scoring, still some issues on the power play and the penalty kill. 
however, and both goaltenders getting in on the action. Lankinen starts twice. UC Saros starts four times. That's probably the balance we want to see from them when they start their goaltenders. This is sort of everything we've been asking of the team, and they delivered it in the most critical spot of the season. Yes, there are four more games to go before the deadline. How did we get here? What what, what happened in y'all's opinion after a 9-2 loss for them to swing back and be where they are now, which is securely in the final playoff spot? Good question. I, I don't know. I, I like to think that uh, it had something to do with Barry Trotz going angry dad mode and threatening to pull the car over and turn turn everyone and go back home after the embarrassing 9-2 to loss to Dallas. But I mean... Look, the, the six-game win streak is nice, but you got to keep in mind, too, like some of the teams they beat, like San Jose, Anaheim, Ottawa, okay, sure, you should be winning those games. The, the win over Vegas was pretty impressive. The win over Los Angeles, like I would like to think they're capable of beating a team like that since that's a team they would see in the playoffs if they make it in. The same thing with St. Louis. Like Those are your direct competition for the wildcard spot, so you should theoretically be beating those teams. So. I, I would still take the, the six game win streak with a grain of salt just because of the the cow like the caliber of the the opponent that they're beating and, and stuff. But all that to say, the way they were playing before, the the bad loss to to Dallas, the bad loss to New Jersey, even Andrew Burnett thinks they should have lost the Arizona game. Ever since they came back from uh, the All Star break, they haven't really. It, it seems like they've been just kind of going through the motions for a little bit before they went on the six game heater. Um, and I think that's something that was just kind of maybe the. I don't want to say like the U2 canceling the U2 trip is what sparked them to like incentivize them to play well. But I think it was kind of a wake up call. Like, okay, Andrew Burnett's pretty pissed at us. We probably need to get our shit together. And I think that's kind of what happened. Now we're kind of seeing kind of what this roster is capable of when things are going right. Uh, Again, beginning of the season. Well, not beginning, probably mid-November to mid-December. We saw them play just like this when they won 13 to 16. So we have seen that we have seen them play really well and play to what the the standard that Andrew Burnett holds them to. But I I think this team, excuse me, this team has been so streaky. I'm just not sure if it's sustainable. So while it's nice they're on a six game win streak, I wouldn't put it past them to go on a four or five game losing streak, followed up with another win or two just because they're so inconsistent. So if you're a Preds fan, be happy. But I, I I would I would be cautiously optimistic about where this team is. Like, yes, today they are a playoff team, but because they are so streaky, like that could be gone in a week. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's an important point is that we have seen this before this season. You know, this the six game win streak ties their season high from back when when you were talking about Michael back in November. So uh, Again, not to be a a wet blanket on everyone's excitement, but I I do agree that I think, you know, this isn't necessarily anything new. It's just something that we haven't seen in a very long time. And so it is exciting. Um, But I would I would be wary of getting, you know, too high on this right now just because, you know, it but. You know, going back to Braden's original question, which is what the hell happened here? I think if you're looking at what went well, and we've talked about this before, about how it seems like for this team, like two things can't be going right at the same time. It's like the goaltending is good, then the offense is bad. Or if the offense is good, the goaltending is bad and the defense is good and, you know, whatever it is. Um Finally, it seems like the stars kind of aligned and things started firing all at once for this team, which is good. Again, it's it's stuff that we've seen before this year, but it's just all happening at the same time, which is definitely 
you know, fortuitous considering what time of the season we're in and we're, you know, getting closer to the playoffs. And at this point in the season, it is all about momentum and who can get, who can get hot at the right time, who can gain momentum and keep momentum at the right time. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about what went right, you mentioned the, the depth scoring, the secondary scoring that we saw on that road trip, 15 different goal scorers, um, you know, but to be fair, you you mentioned how Forsberg, O'Reilly, Nyquist, Yossi, those guys, they still were big. You know, I think Andrew Brunette referred to the Forsberg, O'Reilly, Nyquist line as the big line, and they were still big. And and I talk about this, and I did kind of a recap unpacking the whole road trip of what the hell happened here on the Hockey Writers, so go check it out. Um, you know, that we saw those guys really step up. Forsberg uh, moved into second place on the team's all-time scoring list. And so, you know, that that is still needed, you know, and that was another thing that we've seen before. It's like, okay, we either have the top line scoring and no one else scores or vice versa. But we actually saw everyone scoring, which was great, including the fourth line, which Andrew Brunette has now dubbed the identity line of this team, Cole Smith, Michael McCarron, Kiefer Sherwood. I decided last night to brand them as the all-American beef line because they're all American. And so that's what I did with myself during the eight minutes while waiting for the Predators to record a shot on goal. Just white Angus. That's what we're going to call the line. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) USDA approved. Yeah. I... That, oh, okay, good. look, the Preds had a rough start to the second period against Ottawa last night, and it left me a lot of time to think, and that's what I came <laughs> up with in those eight minutes. So, um, All-American all beef's pretty solid. Uh, 100%, right? 100% USDA-approved white Angus. I think that's yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're big, tough guys, and yeah. Cole Smith is from Minnesota, McCarran's from Michigan and Sherwood's from Ohio. So, you know, those guys and and talking about, I mean, yes, obviously they scored each one of them scored a game winning goal during that, that road trip. Um, and they've, I think they combine the line combined for nine points during the, the five games. And, you know, I think going back to how they're the identity line, you know, they're big, they're fast. They do have skill, you know, they they take away pucks, they take away space from their opponents, they create space for each other. And that is kind of what Andrew Burnett has been preaching this whole year, what he wants his teams to do his team to do. And, you know, we kind of saw that. I mean, it's just like we drew it up, right? Uh, Michael yeah. McCarron, yeah. Michael McCarron, Cole Smith and Kiefer Sherwood just driving this team's offense down the stretch. So this is. To me, this How is we where... made it this far in, and no one's talked about the fact that Luke Shen scored a goal. I mean, that that's pretty newsworthy yes. in itself. I, I mentioned Jeremy Lozon scoring a goal. I thought that was the same thing as Luke Shen scoring a goal. <laughs> Jeremy Lozon's got four goals. No, Luke, he's, Luke he's Shen hasn't scored a goal in I don't know how long. Well, no, we talked about it last week. I think that he scored a goal. I think that's why that's why I didn't mention it because I think he, he didn't score in any since our last pod. Luke Shen has not had a second goal since we mentioned it last time and he probably um, won't for a while but i just i no, just wanted no. to bring it up again because it, it, i mean it's like <laughs> haley's comment like it doesn't come around very often worth reiterating uh so i, I, think I do this- think i do think too before we put a bow on this i think 
kind of tying everything together, there really hasn't been a difference before the six game win streak and, and during it, like they scored 2.96 goals per game before 2.99 goals per game during it. So it's not the offense, the defense and the goaltending has gotten better before they were averaging. They were allowing 3.3 goals per game during the win streak, 2.99. The power play is almost identical, but it was 75% before the six game win streak and almost 80% during the six game win streak. So I think the things that Andrew Burnett has been addressing tightening up defensively, not allowing all these crazy shots in front of Saros or Lincoln and whoever's back there, like all the things that were driving him crazy from the all-star break up into the Dallas game. I think they've, they've kind of taken the coaching and they've really tried to work on those things. Well, I want to, they, they scored 4.3 goals per game in the six game winning streak. So I don't know where you got the 2.99. They've scored at least four in every game that did they, did it, did their yearly total go from two nine six to two nine nine? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it went up. Sorry. It went up three one hundreds. That that makes sense. But they have been at four point three in the six games. This is also where I think all these things can be true. No, I'm it, sorry. I, I think I, I I I phrase that in a bad way. Like the offense hasn't. It's not like they were averaging two and a half goals before. But then all of a sudden now they're averaging like five goals a game. Like it's not this drastic increase yeah, it's one to what they were doing before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, teams get hot. You also this is where again I'm, I'm I want to land on. Like multiple things can be true that may at times feel contradictory. And that is this team isn't really a playoff team from a talent perspective, but their metrics, as we talked about all of last week on the episode, are clearly better than the team last year. They, they are clearly better. They went on a six game winning streak and their offense has been better and secondary scoring is good. But the schedule wasn't extremely difficult. They played a couple of important games in there. They played extremely well against Vegas. The Kings game and the St. Louis game were two really important games for seeding in the Western Conference, but largely you feast on Anaheim and San Jose. And again, teams that are not in the playoffs, you should win those games or compete in those games. And that's what they've done. Their power play and their penalty kill hasn't been the reason either, by the way. Like they, they're three for 21 on the power play. That's 14% over the last, this six game winning streak. Their, their penalty kill is 78% during this winning streak. So it's not special teams that's doing it. Um, at, at the same time, you guys mentioned this eight goals of their 16 in this, the last four games, eight goals from the first line, the big line, as we're calling it, uh, and Yossi and eight goals from everybody else. So like that is balanced in theory, but like, can you depend on Michael McCarron to score two goals one night and then Kiefer Sherwood to score two goals the next night? Like that's not going to happen routinely, but so it's sort of this balance. Like it's, it's all things can kind of be true at one time. Like, no, I don't. And this will get us into our strategy conversation. But I just I I like the balance of Saros starting four out of six. Right. And then Lankin and starting two. I think that's a good balance. If for whatever reason, if you if you want to trade Saros, it's good. If you want to keep Saros and go to the playoffs, it's good. If you want to rebuild, it's good. If you want to trade Lankin in, it's good. There's no reason not to have that be the split moving forward. A little bit more balance. We talked about coming out of the break. They need to go basically, I think it was 31 games I think they had left after the break. They needed to basically go two and one in every stretch. They needed to win 20 games, basically collect 40 or 45 points. Well, they've been seven and two since the break. So even though they had the two worst games of the year, maybe, they've also had the best winning streak of the year. So this is it feels like everything is true all at the same time. And and I don't know if if if, if a, this is not six game winning streak is not sustainable. Um, but does it change the calculus at the trade deadline? Does it change the way you, too, view what the Predators should do at the end of next week? Mm. <laughs> I was going to be nice and let it go, but I, I don't 
I think we're both trying to think of what we want to say. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll go if you, if you want to sit and ruminate for a second. I will it change what they're going to do? Yes. Should it? No. I, I, I think I, I think I said last week that the most preds thing that could happen was is exactly what would happen is they get in this two week period right before the trade deadline when it's very clear they should be selling. They go on a heater and win six in a row. Now Barry Trotz is like, hold everything like we're we're I'm not trading Saros. We're Carrier might be staying here, too. Like, I, I feel like the best path forward for this team is to. I'm not saying to trade Saros just because like you can. But if, if the only way you, you're convinced you can get that elite score that you haven't been able to have is to is by trading a player like Saros, then you should absolutely do it. But now it seems like they're going to stand pat. They might add a couple depth pieces and it's, it we're exactly where we were a year ago. And I feel like that that's why fans are so irritated because they're like, sure, getting into the playoffs, you're making money, all that stuff. Like that's great for the franchise, but the fans are irritated. They want the team to pick a lane. They don't, the, the, the years of going in, getting in and going one and done are over. Like they, I think the fans are willing to suffer through a bad year or two if they know the payoff is going to be sustained playoff contention for four or five, six years because of the team that they're building up through the draft picks and, and the players that they're acquiring through the the year or two of being bad. So I think that's where there's some fans that are happy. Some fans that are like, yes, bring me the playoffs. There are other fans that are kind of like, oh, this this feels like the David Poyle way of handling things because it's kind of what it feels like. I, I think if you were going to two weeks ago, if you were going to start trading people, you shouldn't be dissuaded from doing that because you beat Anaheim and San Jose and, and Ottawa. So I think they should stay the course and still do what they planned on doing last week. But I think it's obvious they're not going to do that. Don't you talk about San Jose that way, Michael. They're yeah, very, I think very good hockey team. <laughs> I think the I I agree. I think the six game win streak should not cancel out the three god awful games that preceded it. Uh, even though one of them was a win, it was an overtime win that should have been put away in regulation. I just think, I, I agree with Michael. I don't think it should change how this team approaches the deadline, but I think it will. You know, like you said, now all of a sudden we're back in the playoffs and it's like, oh shit, nobody move. Like no, nobody mess up anything right now because we, we got to, and, and I understand, and we've talked about this, that, you know, they're trying to establish, when I say they, I mean Trotz and Brunette. They're trying to establish a winning culture in Nashville with this team. How do you do that? You got to win and you got to make it to the playoffs. And that's that's what they're focused on. And I think a big thing, too, that, you know, there is some some validity to this is making is getting these young guys some playoff experience, some real playoff NHL playoff experience, something that a lot of this team has none of, or a lot of them haven't had it in a couple of years and, you know, haven't had deep playoff runs in several years. And so I think that that's important. It is important. And I understand kind of where their, their heads are at with that. Um, but, you know, again, looking at this, trying not to just look at the last six games, look at this season as a whole, it's been incredibly inconsistent. The next several games are going to be very unpredictable and yes the preds finally won at home but again it was against ottawa and it, you know it's they're they're still only 500 at home like they they should be yeah. so much better than that and so i think it's you have to look at the season as a whole 
They're way too unpredictable right now. Um, it's still, even if they make the playoffs in, in the wild card spot that they're in now, I don't think that this is a serious playoff team. Uh, and, and so I don't think that they should be operating like one. Uh, all right. So since I agree with you guys, I'll play devil's advocate for the sake of the show. And if Boo. you're good, if you're going to change your strategy, the only argument I can come up with that I can even like fake, <laughs> I can't really even fake it. The only way I could fake it is. If you're planning on trading Soros, we've already talked about how you could do it in the offseason. And if you keep Soros and you see Soros as your goaltender for the next 22 games, which is the rest of the season, and potentially a playoff series, that is the only real opportunity you have to win anything. To get to the playoffs, to even challenge a team, is UC Soros goes on an absolute heater and you win a couple of games. I'll keep keep playing devil's advocate here. 18, 10, and 2 on the road now. You know you're going to have to play four out of seven games on the road in a playoff series. There's no chance you're going to be the home team. Uh, you're not going to catch. You're still, even with this streak, you're not even close to third place in the division. Yes, you've put some distance between you and some of these other teams that are in the wild card chase, Calgary and Seattle and Minnesota and St. Louis, even though they all have a couple game or two to, to play with here over you, Nashville. I, so there's reasons that you could say, look, we weren't really planning on trading Saros anyway. It's not going to preclude you from trading Tyson Berry, and it may not even preclude you from trading Alex Carrier. So ultimately, what are we talking about here? What, what are we? What piece is it? And we'll get to Tommy Novak in a second, because that might be the, the, the piece you wouldn't move, hypothetically, if you're trying to make a, a, a run here. I don't know what really would change other than... I'm willing to lower my cost to accept a deal for Soros so that we can keep the rebuild going faster and stronger. So uh, that's just me. And that's like as devil's advocate as I could be on this. Like, I can't really tell you because I agree with you guys. They should not change the strategy. But it does tell me that the asking price for Soros is probably going up. Like, now, here's the other question. Do you need to see two more games? If you beat Minnesota and Colorado at home, and especially if you play well against Colorado, those are two teams, one of which you're chasing ahead of you and one of which is right behind you. If you keep winning and you keep doing it against Minnesota and Colorado at home, all of a sudden you're at eight games. You then have Montreal and Buffalo at home as well, but they're Eastern Conference. They're not as important. Does, the, does two more wins change your opinion even further? Or are you still like... Because again, if you play well against Minnesota and Colorado... Not only are you going to separate yourself even further in the division, but you're kind of going to show fans, all right, maybe that six game winning streak isn't as fluky as it looks on paper. Well, I, I think don't... with you got to look at, first of all, Colorado, they have beaten at home already once this year. That I would say was a little fluky. But then you look at Minnesota, Minnesota or Nashville had their asses handed to them by Minnesota last time Minnesota was in town. And so I think, yes, these are going to be two very important games in helping kind of form your opinion of this team, but it's two games out of 82. It's still for me I, the yes, they're the quality of the games is much higher in terms of how important they are in determining, you know, this team's actual, you know, place in the playoff race right now. But I just, to me, it's 
you know, maybe, okay, it's encouraging if you, you beat them both at home. That's good, good progress. You know, again, house money at this point, anything that happens this season. But uh, to me, it's not, it's still only two games. Yeah, I, I don't really think it would change much for me either. Look, you're you're competing for one or two wild card spots. If if you were on the borderline of being third in the division and you you take four points and that puts you ties you with Colorado for third, okay, maybe I'd feel a little bit better. But either way, you're fighting for one of two wild card spots. So whenever you get into the playoffs, you're getting one of the number one seeds. You're either going to face Dallas or or Winnipeg, whoever takes the Central or Colorado. Haven't really performed very well against all three of those teams. I do think Emma's right. The the win over Colorado earlier this season was a bit fluky. And then if you get the one seed, you're probably, I mean, or if you get the other wild card, you're probably going to face Vancouver, who's beaten you three straight times this year, not just beaten you, like handily beat you. Like Vancouver is very tough for, for some of the elite teams to keep up with. I don't have any faith that the Predators are going to be able to do that in a playoff series. So if you were, if you weren't a wild card team and you were in the top three in the central, I maybe winning those two games, I would feel a little bit better about it, but, but either way, it's not going to do much to whether you're the first wild card or the second wild card team. in, it's not going to do much to help their standing. Yes. Saros is the kind of goalie. If he gets hot, he can steal a series for you. But like, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, if the goaltending's hot, usually that's showing us that the offense and defense aren't on the same page. And if the offense and defense are hot, the goaltending's on the same page. So until they can put all three phases of the game together, I don't really have much faith in this team making it out of the first round of the playoffs. I, I think the like the old uh, have your cake and eat it too thing here, it, it, even though that was like the David Poyle's like undoing the competitive rebuild, rebuild on the fly, like whatever you want to call it. Um, I do think there feels like to your point about house money, Emma. It does feel like whatever happens over the next four, forget the next week. They are a, a, an above 500 hockey team that right now is six, seven points a, a, ahead of everybody else for a wild card spot. So it's, it's not like they're like, Oh, they're, they just need a couple of wins and all of a sudden they'll get into wild card. No, they are five points up on Calgary with one game. Calgary has at hand. They're six points up on Minnesota and St. Louis. They're seven points up on Seattle. They like, they are securely in the playoffs at this stage. Anything can happen. If they were to win a couple of these games, I mean, they, they could come out of the all-star break at like 10 and three. That would be playing your best hockey at the most important time of the season, which again, based on metrics, we just got done telling you last week shows that this team is clearly better than it was last year in almost every category, except for goaltending, except for UC Soros. We all kind of agree that UC Soros is not really going to get traded at the deadline unless he is blown away, unless Trotz is blown away by an offer. And he, you know, he's I, I saw Wasinski's list on, on ESPN that Saros is a top five trade chip right now. Okay, that's nice. And that may be good for a team that's desperate, but like you can still trade him in the offseason. You can still trade Lankin in. You can still call up Askarov and still give yourself a better chance to make the playoffs and win in the playoffs. And so there is an element of cake and have it too. Again, I am playing devil's advocate here. I don't necessarily condone or my my retweets are not endorsements here, but like I can see why they're going to keep Soros, ask for a lot more, maybe trade him in the offseason because he does give him a chance to play with some house money this year right now in this moment because you are five, six points ahead of everybody else in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think it, I think something to keep in mind with this too is, and Pierre Lebrun wrote about this in The Athletic this morning. He talked to, to Barry Trotz and Trotz even said like, yes, he's like, we're in a playoff spot and I'm not going to waver from that. And I think that kind of shows 
Trots and the Predators view making the playoffs differently than we do. We view it as you get in, you're going to get eliminated really quickly. Like, what does that do? You make a little extra money from a couple of selling playoff tickets, basically. I think that Trotz views making the playoffs as progress and development for the team. You're getting guys like Evangelista and Glass and Novak some playoff experience. Granted, they have a little bit with Milwaukee, but there's a difference between NHL playoff experience and AHL playoff experience. So I think that they they view getting into the playoffs differently. They view it as a sign of progress because they eventually want to be doing that every single year. So if they do it ahead of schedule, then I think that in their mind is progress, whereas we view it as you're kind of hindering what you're trying to do because you don't have a lot of the AHL guys up that you said you were going to play. You're adding depth pieces, stuff like that. So I think it's just there's a disconnect between how they view a playoff run as opposed to how we view it. I also think, too, looking at, you know, if you were going to trade Saros before the deadline, which obviously sounds like it's not happening now, but if you were going to do it, I think it was Elliot Friedman said this week that New Jersey was the team that had expressed serious interest in him. But you look at New Jersey in the standings right now, they're five points back from a wild card spot right now behind Tampa. And I think, you know, I, I don't know that that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. I think if you, if you look at, you know, the other teams that they're competing with. And I think you make a a move like a desperation move and get someone like Soros. If you're much more firmly in a playoff spot than they are right now. And so I don't think on any side, I don't think it makes sense to, to move Soros if, you know, regardless of the reason, I think like, like you were saying, Barry Trotz's reason is, well, we're going to make playoffs, so let's not move Soros yet. It's like maybe that's not the best reason, but either way, I think it doesn't make sense to move him before the deadline. To, to me, it's it's I know New Jersey is the one that we're talking about here, but like to me, it's a team that is so ridiculously offensively loaded and has such a glaring weakness in net that it makes sense to trade a a a, a valuable young like professional, maybe with some picks and prospects, but like the only thing that you're missing is goaltending. Like basically the predators need like somebody to get hurt in the next like five days. And I don't like rooting for injury. Cause that's just, you know, not very classy, but, like, <laughs> but like Connor Hellebuck needs to get hurt <laughs> or, or, you know, Florida, Boston, New York, some, somebody elite has to be like out for the year. And then they have so much talent on offense that they can trade a piece. Right. Like otherwise, it doesn't feel like you've got the right blend. Whereas in the offseason, you could probably move Soros for a an established player easier, probably. Right? Yeah, I think I think New Jersey, out of all the teams that are probably interested, New Jersey makes the most sense. But to Emma's point, they're so far down in the standings, it doesn't really make sense to make that move now. That feels like more of an offseason move. Yeah. The only other team I, I could see possibly being interested because of where they are in the standings where it would make sense would be Los Angeles. And that doesn't make sense for the Predators because that's a team that's directly above you in the wildcard race. So why would you trade arguably your best player to someone you're trying to compete against for the playoffs? It just doesn't add up. But Because, because Turcotte's better for your future. That's it. That's all. That, that's the only thing that they should be thinking of in that situation. If you're actually going to yeah. trade Soros, it doesn't matter where he goes, right? It really doesn't, but I think Barry Trotz has shown that he's not willing to just say screw the playoffs for the betterment of the of the team long term. He he wants to to your point, he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to still be a playoff team while also adding those pieces. It's just not gonna work. I think I think Saros gets traded in the offseason ultimately. I do think New Jersey makes the most sense because 
they have, like you said, they have so many young, talented offensive players. Like if you trade Dawson Mercer, you still have Brat and Hughes and Heesher and the other Hughes and and Meyer and Holtz. Like you still have so many other players that it, it makes sense for New Jersey to load up with a goaltender in the offseason and make another run at it next year. And I think the offseason is where where Sarah Steele happens. We've been talking about this for two years. I think this might be this offseason might be the time when he finally does get traded. And we're going to get to your I told you so about Tommy Novak, which I actually think is not unrelated to UC Saros because you're not going to spend $12 million on UC Saros and Tommy Novak. So we'll get to that in just a second because we'll talk Carrier and Tyson Berry and some other trade options here. See what you guys are working on. Of course, National Hockey Now, hockey writers. But uh, we need to get to this cake and eat it too thing brought to you by Jaspers. Go to Jaspers. Great. Does Jaspers chefs. sell cake? Absolutely. Great. <laughs> Megan Williams used to be the pastry chef. She's, you know, award winning. She's done all the great stuff over there. Jaspers Elite Cheesecake, which I, I'm not sure is a pie or a cake, to be honest with you. So I don't know if you can eat your cheesecake and have it too. I'm not sure. But cake is in the name. So here's my ultimate point. Uh, this is the most important topic on the show. Eating your cake, having your cake, and eating it too. I always, like, does anyone else have a tough time, like, with the merits of this phrase and this saying? Because what if you have a piece of cake and you eat half of it? You have both eaten your cake and have and still have it too. I, I like I understand the basic premise, which is that once you've put it down your pie hole or your cake hole in this in this situation, that you no longer can have it. But like, isn't having your I got? Am I the only one who's all of my life been frustrated by this phrase and this cliche? No, am I alone? It's it's bothered me too, just because if you eat your cake, you have to. Ha- you can't eat something you don't have. It, it right. doesn't make sense. Emma, does this uh, keep you awake at night? Well, I think it's going to now. I can honestly <laughs> say I've never put that much thought into this phrase until just now. So great. Thanks. You gave me a new, a new, you know, a new anxiety, a new frustration unlocked. Thanks a lot, guys. That's what we're here for. Um, no, it's like, look, I would like to rebuild the roster and also provide my fans and young players with a playoff experience. I would like to have this piece of cake. And then also eat it too. Brought to you by Jaspers. So, okay, if, if we're looking at this as an actual piece of cake here, now be patient with me. Michael as... McCarran is a USDA <laughs> grade A piece of prime cake. Beef cake. Okay. There we so... go. There we go. <laughs> I just I... got caught. Now I have now I just have Eric Cartman shooting soft pellets in my head <laughs> running around. Anyway, keep going. This makes sense in my head. I don't know if it will still make sense by the time it comes out of my mouth, but work with me on this. I think if you're looking at like, okay, if you have a piece of cake in front of you, you want to eat the whole thing, right? Sure. So, but if you have, like you said, having, having your cake and eating it too would be having it and then only eating half of it, but you still really want the rest of it, right? Because it's really good. So I think that Right now, this whole, you know, basically having your cake and eating it too is not committing. You're not committing to the full send. I'm going to eat this whole piece of cake, which is what in, in this conversation, either choosing, I mean, in, in this particular situation, choosing to sell and just commit to the rebuild would be having the entire piece of cake. Like that would be better. Mm-hmm. Like having half of it would still be good, but it's not as good as it could be. 
Okay. Uh, let's just let's keep let's just dig let's dig ourselves deeper here. Um so two things. What I've learned what I've learned now through this conversation is number one, you cannot have your cake and also draft Connor Bedard. Can't do that, apparently. <laughs> like if you have your cake, then you can't pick number one overall or in the top five because you can't fully rebuild then. Also, maybe the predators are just a really shitty piece of cake, is what we're getting at. Like it's just maybe that's not that good. And so maybe you should just eat half of it now. And it's so it's not so good that you have to have the other half right away. You just it's just a mediocre, maybe a little dry. You know, maybe you didn't get enough uh, like egg in there or something like it's not eh, it's not like fully good, soft cake. Maybe that's the Preds. Is, are, again, let's just keep digging here, folks. We're going to keep going down the metaphor rabbit hole. Thanks, Jaspers. You're welcome. I, have I just want I'm I just want cake. Now I'm just hungry. <laughs> I, basically, it's just like. I don't know anyone who's ever had a piece of cake and been like, I'm just going to eat half. <laughs> well, that but that, I, that's exactly the point, though. That's where <laughs> I was trying to go with this, <laughs> with my very sophisticated <laughs> metaphor here. <laughs> the cake, the cake is the predator's future. Right. And okay, so okay. you you eat half of it, then that would be standing pat at the deadline and being like okay let's give these young guys some experience let's not make a nice bites a couple couple of nice bites of cake yeah a couple of nice bites but it could be better (laughs) long term like if you (laughs) didn't didn't eat any (laughs) no no if you either well either way you want to take the metaphor eating none of it or Maybe yeah. to your point, if it is a shitty piece of cake, you exchange it for a different cake. You know, there's so many different ways you can go with this. And you save the calories like, uh, you know, it's better that, for your long term future to not eat the cake, to just have it. And because, but again, I still never understood, like I, even back to the origin of just the phrase, like if you have your cake, you could do whatever the fuck you want with it. <laughs> so, so if you have the cake. You could eat one bite, you could eat three quarters of it, you could eat half of it, you could eat none of it, and you still have it, and you could, in theory, eat it too. If but you maybe to. maybe the cake is a trade chip, and you can have it if you don't eat it, and you trade it for something else, yeah. then yeah. you don't have it anymore. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that no one has ever discussed at length this metaphor as extensively as we just did. I will trade you three pieces of carrot cake and one piece of chocolate cake for UC Soros and Tommy Novak. No deal. <laughs> red velvet. I'll throw in a piece of red velvet. <laughs> red velvet. Get some funfetti in there. Then, then we'll okay. talk. All right. One of those people. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, either way, go to Jasper's. They have lots of cake. <laughs> Delicious. Where you can order it and have it and eat it and then take it home for later and save some if you want. I hope. I hope <laughs> go to go to Jasper's everybody. All right. Uh, so I told you so from Michael Gallagher brought to you by Nashville hockey now and Jasper's apparently the window, and this is not according to the predators, not according to, to Barry Trotz, not according to um, a, an agent for Tommy Novak, the ballpark window, 4.1 to 4.8 million. I believe that was Elliot Friedman, right? I believe. Yeah. Um, And that, that just, I'll start with, I, I like Tommy Novak. I think he's a nice piece. I think he could develop into a consistent player for anybody in the NHL. It's not anti-Tommy Novak. It's anti that price point for Tommy Novak. Uh, three years, eleven million. I'm I'm good. Anything under four, I'm probably okay with it. Anything less than three years, I'm okay with it. 
You start getting into four years, 16 million, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. And it's not a knock on Tommy Novak. It's a knock on where this Predators team is currently and where they are. We just got done using a stupid metaphor to define where this franchise is headed. If if we are talking about trading UC Soros or signing him, you cannot sign Tommy Novak for $4 million and UC Soros for eight and all of a sudden have $12 million locked up for the next four years, not, not counting this year, but like combined total. That doesn't seem like a smart use of resources for a team that is not that close to winning a cup, in my opinion. Yeah, you can, you I can agree. start with you can start with the I told you so, by the way, if you want. I I don't have to. You you did it very well for me. Um I, I just four million dollars is a lot to pay to someone who has really only had roughly 75% of a good season. Because last year he produced pretty well, but he wasn't he wasn't on the roster for the entire season. He 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 performed great in like a 51 game sample size. This year we've we've talked about you know twelve goals, thirty two points, forty nine games. Like that's that's pretty solid production, but that's not really top six production. Like you look at Forsberg and Yossi and O'Reilly and what they're doing. I know Yossi's a defenseman, but that's the kind of production you expect from someone in the top six. I'm just I'm not seeing it with with Tommy Novak, and I know when we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago when we had Clay on, going through the contracts and stuff like that, I I said that there. So from some of the people I talked to, and great, I'm not as connected as Elliot Freeman is, but from some of the people that I had talked to, there was a sense that Novak was going to get in the mid fours and he could even go as high as five million per season. And you laughed at me and said, that's a lot to pay for Tommy Novak, which I agree. But I think that's kind of where his market is because he's a center. I think we see the market for centers overvalued a lot. And Elliot Freeman put out the 4.1 to $4.7 million per year. I think that's even a little high in my story that I put on Nashville hockey. Now I looked at, there were really four players I think that are similar in Novak to age and they have comparable point production and, and roughly the same amount of games. And that's Ross Colton for Colorado, Philip Scheidel for New York, uh, Etu Sterenin, probably butcher that up for Florida. And then Gabe Velarde with Winnipeg. And I think roughly what those guys got, you're looking at 4 million, 4.43, 3 million and 3.43. I think if you're comparing Novak to those four, three and a half to four million per year makes sense. If I'm if I'm Trots, I'm not going three or four years. I want a two year deal, three and a half million, and you prove to me that you're not like that. You are a late bloomer, and that you, this is the player you are, and not just that you had a really good season and a half. And we're going to be overpaying for lack of production. Okay, so mm. if Tommy Novak is a piece of cake, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think. <laughs> I think I I totally agree with that. I love Tommy Novak. I think he has been great, but like you said, he hasn't even had a full NHL season yet. I think it's frankly I do think there are teams who would pay him that amount. I do think though that it is too much right now. I am very much on board with the idea of it's kind of like you look at I, I kind of look at Tommy Novak like Cody Glass, not that they are the same player per se, but they've kind of had, you know, they they've been taking a little bit longer to develop or to to show what they can do at the NHL level. You look at what they did with Cody Glass and he I mean he was a little bit different he was a an RFA after last season restricted free agent and so they signed him to that two-year bridge deal 
you know, it's like, all right, we liked what we saw from you this year, this last year, but let's see if we can keep that consistent. And so I think you need to do something similar with Tommy Novak and be like, okay, look, let's do, I, I like, I do like that range of, you know, two years, three and a half million. I think that that's reasonable. Um, I also just knowing Tommy, I could see him now not knowing Tommy's agent personally. So that, that <laughs> opens a whole other can of worms, but knowing Tommy personally, I could see him being willing to accept a more team friendly deal, but you know, you, you have to look at, he is an unrestricted free agent after this season. You know, when they signed him to the extension last year when he was leading the team in scoring down the stretch, I mean, they got him at a significant bargain compared to, you know, relative to what he was producing last season. And so I think now, okay, he hasn't gotten quite up to that level. If you want to think about it, technically still hasn't had a full NHL season because he was hurt for a big chunk of this season. And, you know, he's starting to heat back up, which is good, but it's still, it's not a big enough sample size for me to offer him, you know, term and money. And, And I think that, it is tough though, because if you look at like who are the the guys they've already signed to extensions, Cole Smith, Michael McCarron, those guys are not. I think there's a they don't have the offensive upside that Tommy Novak does, but there's a reason that they've already been signed and Tommy hasn't. I think you yeah. know the market value for Tommy Novak, like you said, maybe it is an inflated view. It's higher for in the center market, and that's that's fine. I think, though, you have to look at what Barry Trott said on the radio yesterday, which was you you can't let a guy like Tommy Novak go for nothing. And what that means is you got to trade him before the deadline or you got to come to a, an yep. extension agreement before then because he becomes, you know, once the season's over, he becomes unrestricted free agent and that would be letting him go for nothing. And so I think... He'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think you absolutely try to keep him if you can get him to a, you know, sign to a more team-friendly deal. But to the point of kind of what we've been talking about, if someone makes you a ridiculous offer for Tommy Novak and it's someone who will be willing to sign him, you know, to a long-term deal because he otherwise would just be a rental, I think... You know, you certainly have to listen to the offers, but I think, yeah, it'll be an interesting situation to keep an eye on. He also said that they're pretty, they're pretty close. It sounds like on a contract. Um, So to me, I agree with the bridge deal. Uh, Again, more than three years, I'm out more than 4 million a year. I'm out. You want to go all the way up to that line and go three years, 11 million, go 3.6 AAV. Like I'm fine. Push, push the boundary a little bit. Ultimately, I think what you have, and again, you could also trade him for like something cheap, like a fourth round pick or something with a little wink, wink going, Hey, I got a nice contract for you when you come back in the off season. <laughs> and then maybe you get him and, you, and then again, he becomes the piece of cake and you've eaten it and traded him too. So I don't, I don't know, but I, I do think that the, ultimately, I think one of the things we should all think of, and I, we haven't really said this on the show, but Emma, this is to, and, and both of your points about like, stop acting like a playoff team. Let's imagine in a perfect world that this team is competing for a Stanley Cup. It's one of the best teams in the Western Conference in three years from now. Okay? 
So everything works out. They've made moves. Maybe that involves trading Soros. That involves developing players. That that involves signing a free agent, maybe. Like, who knows what the plan is, right? But the plan works. And they are now one of the best teams with the most talent. And Brunette's the right coach. And they've done all the right things. And they're they're a one of the top two or three teams preseason four years from now going into the year to win the cup. Is Tommy Novak one of the top six forwards on the team, if that is the case? And I have a hard time seeing that. If they are a cup championship contender, he strikes me as a third-line player. And that's not meant to be insulting to him. That's meant to be like, they've built and done everything so right that they're so good that they are clearly a cup championship contender. And I don't know if you're paying $5 million a year for Tommy Novak to be one of those top six. If that make, Does that make sense? Yeah, I think if if the question is, is he part of that team or could he be part of that team? I would say, yes, absolutely, he could Agree. be. Agree. Um, but he, like you said, probably on the third line. So you got to pay him third line money. You know, you're not paying him five million a year. So I I think now if we start seeing, you know, let's say sign him to a two two year bridge deal you start seeing more consistency from him and he really does develop into what, you know, we saw flashes of last year and even a little bit this year, then sure sign him, you know, lock him up long-term after that, but it's too early to tell right now. Then you're in the Forsberg type of deal, maybe less than that, where you're like five years, 30 million, you're going to go 5 million a year or 6 million a year. Like if he's that good and he's your top six and you're trying to win a championship, then he probably deserves more money. So, uh, you know, I, I, that's that's where I see it, Mike. Yeah, I would I would argue if you're if Tommy Novak is one of your six best forwards, you're probably not a cup contending team. At least that's that's what we have to go on right now. New information become a, can become available. Novak can go and put up 30 goals next year and play a full 82 game season and not get hurt and, and prove all of us wrong. We don't know that. I, I think his I think his point production since he's been in the NHL based off an 82 game season is roughly. 22 to 24 goals around 60 62 points somewhere in there he's played he's played 127 games he has 82 points he scored 30 goals yeah i i think over a full 82 game season we're not going to know what tommy novak is until we have a full 82 game season in front of us he played 51 games last year 49 this year he missed a month very beginning of the year he looked really good that first month and then he got hurt brunette said he came back probably about two weeks early it took him a while to get into the groove and I, i think it just like Emma said, we just don't have the sample size. We don't have the information we need to fully judge and evaluate him right now. In three years, would it surprise me if he developed into a top six player? No, because I think he has the kind of skill set that can do that. But right now, I don't think you can. I don't think you can pay him like he is a top six player. That's. I think that's getting into the territory of where you're giving eight million dollars a year to Ryan Johansson, and Barry Trotz doesn't want to get into where you're overpaying yeah. for someone yeah. like. Sure, Johansson was a top six center or top six forward on the Predators. Would he have been a top six player on a lot of other teams? Maybe, maybe not. You don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Five million dollars a year for a guy who's never played a full season is a huge risk. That's it. It doesn't matter how talented you are, how good you are, how good you might be. That's it. It's just a it's just a big risk. That that's all there is to it. Um, to me, right. you you can't pay Tommy Novak more than you're paying Ryan O'Reilly. It just you can't do it. Yeah, I agree with that. Or even uh, close so, to what you're paying Ryan O'Reilly. So more of the cake and eating it and having it. Uh Wyshynski's top 50, number 16 on the list, Alex Carrier, number 38, Tyson Berry, Dante Fabro not on the list. Uh Kevin Lankinen, not on the list. Uh, but I do think what's interesting is that teams always want defensemen. They always want these pieces at, around this time of year. But there's not too many 
offensive defensemen that are available. And the Predators with Carrier and Barry have two of them. And so, again, we know Barry wants out. You could, in theory, make Alex Carrier a part of your long-term future if you believe him to be. I have a feeling Carrier is going to bring back more than people think. And honestly, you could move both of them and still probably feel good about your defense core long-term if you do still keep sorrows. I don't know what that does to your current immediate. Same thing with Novak. If you trade Carrier and Novak today, this week, that that does your playoff chances take a, a fairly decent hit at that point. It's it's not Soros type of hit, but if they're going to make the playoffs, you probably need Carrier and Novak playing for this team down the stretch. So maybe that's where, maybe that's where if you eat your cake, you can't have it. I guess I don't know. I feel like the Barry deal is going to happen eventually because it's it it was a big public blow up. Barry Trotz called out a player, which the, we don't really see that happen a lot around here. And I think Tyson Barry still like he's been playing pretty well when he's in there, but I think he wants to be playing every night. It's not happening here. I do think there is a team that will probably make a, a good enough offer that Trotz feels okay with taking it. I, Carrier is interesting just because the organization is really high on him. He, he can be an offensive player. It's just, are the deals that are, they're getting offered for Carrier right now, are they just too good to pass up? And I think they, I think, I feel like they've cooled a little bit on trading Fabro. I think they want to keep both of them. But also, if you keep both of them with the defenseman you already have, like that, that, that further delays Spencer Stastny and Mark Delgaizo from getting to the NHL, which I feel like Stastny getting full time NHL minutes next season is, is one of the goals of this team. So I think it just depends on. If you do you get a good enough deal for Carrier to move him? Because if you do that, that signals to me the, the goal is to replace him eventually with Spencer Stastny. Carrier, I feel like, is is someone that can stay on this team and still produce pretty at a pretty good clip. It, it just depends on what the Predators are actually getting offered because Barry Trotz is I feel like with not just the Soros deal, but with every deal, like you he's gonna try to squeeze every last drop out of what he can for what whoever he's training. Well, and it's two very different situations, right? Like Tyson Berry will not be with this team after this year. Like regardless, they're they were never going to re-sign him. He was going to be too expensive. He doesn't fit, you know, the the system or what they're doing here. So you might as well, you know, offload him. Like what you're going to accept. I understand that Trotz wants to get the best deal that he can, but like you're going to be a little more willing to offload Tyson Berry for maybe a lesser return than you are Alex Carrier, who could very well be part of this team's future. Like you said, it would be great if you could keep him and Fabro. Um, I, you know, again, Carrier free agent, you don't want to let him go for nothing either. So I, I say that if they don't move Carrier by the deadline, then that is an indication that they're signing him in the off season to some sort of extension. Um, because they they wouldn't let him with with as much as his name has been out you know in the rumor mill and as high as the the trade market is on him you don't just let him go yeah you don't let him walk in the off season all right let me ask you this you can pick one and you're gonna sign him to basically the same deal let's say three years twelve million you keeping Tommy Novak or you keeping Alex Carrier I'm keeping Novak yeah. You have the defenseman in Milwaukee that can replace Carrier. I don't really know if you have anyone that's ready to step in next year and replace Novak. But you have a lot more forwards in the pipeline than you do defensemen. You do, but they're not going to be ready until 2025 at, at the mo- like at the earliest. Yeah. 
the the defensemen are arguably some of them, i.e. Stastny, already now, uh, and and the forwards certainly have potential. They have upside, but they're not like Mike said. They're not going to be ready soon enough mm. for okay. what the Preds are looking for. Okay. Like Larue and Svechkov, I think will be NHL ready by 2025. They're not ready to step in and do what Tommy Novak does right now because Novak can produce offense. He can play center and forward or center and winger. I just don't think there's anyone in Milwaukee that would be ready that can can step in and do that. I think Afanasiev is probably the most NHL ready forward they have right now. And he was up and got sent back down, didn't really play. So I, I just don't think Milwaukee's the way to go for that. Well, it's interesting. I think one of the arguments could also be that on a defense standpoint, you've got all these contracts like Yossi, McDonough, Shen under contract. Jeremy Lausanne, under contract, all four of those guys under contract. Um, so you're either going to depend a lot on Stasi and Del Gaizo to be your third pairing, or you're depending a lot on Luke Shen, or you're going to re-sign Dante Fabro because he's restricted. So like you could also use that as an argument to go, all right, hey, we've got our we've got four out of our six already under contract for next year, right? In, uh, in the defense core. And two of them have like no movement clauses. Like <laughs> they're not going anywhere. Uh I don't think you buy out Luke Shen, but that contract's getting worse every day. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's and Luke and Jeremy Lozon's contract's getting better every day, right? So I, I don't know what the the future holds in the defense core, but they've got so Perfect. many. Unless my guy, unless my guy Tanner Molendyke is up is fast is ready faster than expected, which I fully expect him to be. If we're talking about, but with Molendyke, by the way, uh, Clay reminded me that he is his age. He is eligible to play in the AHL next year. So I think we'll see Molendyke with the Admirals next season. Um, what what they should do is, if we're talking about what the best move strategically for this team would be, and I guess financially, it would be to keep both Fabro and uh, Carrier and get rid of, of Tyson Berry, obviously, and get rid of Luke Shen. Because Luke Shen, I feel like we all can agree, is the weaker link of all the defensemen on the roster right now. And if you get rid of Shen, you clear up a little bit of cap space that also paves the way for Stastny to come up and play as well. I think Carrier and Fabro are both better suited for the way the Predators want to play than Luke Shen is because it just seems like no matter what, he, he there's something he's not getting, whether he's turning the puck over, he's slow trying to catch up with some of the other forwards that they're defending. Like there's just, there's a lot of issues with Luke Shen. I, I think you, you admit it was a mistake. You get rid of him and you keep both Carrier and Fabro if they're that valuable to the team. And then you can call up Stastny. I would like to point out that Ryan O'Reilly makes $4.5 million a year. I would like to point out that Gustav Nyquist makes $3.1 million a year and that Luke Shen makes $2.75 million a year. Those were the three big free agent signings by Barry Trotz. A two and one. Okay, Barry, two and one. But we kind of knew that when it happened. We, we saw all three of them happen and we were like, well, those two seem really smart. Not sure about that one. And here we are. <laughs> so I agree. Uh, Carrier, Fabro, Lozon with McDonough and Yossi. That's five out of six. That'd be a really good starting point. And uh, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> so, so, all right. Uh, if you'd like to have some cake and then also eat it as well, go to Jasper's where you can have your hamburger and eat it too. Uh, you got French fries. You got great appetizers. Great place to watch the game. Free parking, game room, grab and go market, the whole deal. We have uh, absolutely, um, Jasper's has absolutely been one of the best partners I've ever worked with in my entire life. So just want to say we love you, Jasper's. Go to Jasper's, of course. Uh, Emma, where, what you got coming up on the website? 
Over at the Hockey Writers, I've got a piece coming up on, I mentioned earlier, the identity line. Uh, Michael McCarron, Cole Smith, and Kiefer Sherwood, you know, the big three, just like we all drew it up at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, really kind of what they've done to really drive this offense over this last little stretch here. And, uh, you know, how Brunette's system has sort of agreed with them and their style. Um, Also have a piece out uh, as of yesterday about... Regardless, you know, leaving aside the win over Ottawa, the Preds have struggled a lot at home this season. They even struggled for a period and a half of the win over Ottawa at home. And, you know, kind of I I talked to Andrew Brunette about it. I talked to Luke Evangelista and Cody Glass about it. And, you know, kind of like, guys, what's going on here? Why are you having so much trouble at home? And they gave me some really good insight. That's up on the site as of yesterday. So go check it out. Mike, what you got at Nashville Hockey Now? Yeah, this morning we uh, published a story on the Tommy Novak update that we discussed pretty much at length. If you want to go read it, get a few more details, uh, see some of the contract breakdowns, comp- comparables that I put up there uh, with some of the guys that I mentioned earlier. We have that. Um, later this week, we're going to have a trade deadline roundtable where myself and Clay Brewer and Russell Vinozzi and my other writers, we kind of discuss uh, players we would trade, players we would look to add if, if the Predators were in the market to add someone. Um, just kind of a roundtable discussion of what we would do for uh, how the team should approach the deadline. And then I'm also hoping to have um, the next day or two another UC Saros update. Uh, Barry Trotz said something interesting on the radio that I want to expand upon a little bit. Just kind of what it would look like if they waited till the offseason to, to trade him, where he could possibly go, stuff like that. So pretty much anything UC Saros, we're just going to have a pretty much daily updates on. Uh, there you have it, Nashville Hockey Now. The hockey writers, of course, get to both of the uh, amazing hosts for the Gold Standard, of course, all over the Twitter sewers. We do appreciate you guys. Minnesota, Colorado, two huge games going into the weekend. You got Montreal, of course, next week. Then we'll be back. And then there's Buffalo. And then there's the trade deadline. So we've got a lot to discuss from here over the course of the next 10 days or so. Uh, we will also have some special plans for you uh, via the trade deadline. So just stay tuned for that as well. And make sure you go check out Jaspers. For Emma and Michael, thank you guys all for listening. I am Braden Gall. Rate, review, and subscribe. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.